April 1855, outside of Macon, Georgia. If she could, she would ride her horse a thousand miles on the currents of any chance breeze in any chance direction it took her, so long as it was far from here. And just now her eyes closed and mesmerized by the thundering cadence of beating hoofs, her whole world bordered only on the heavy rhythmic panting of her mount, the wind in her hair, the warmth of the sun on her cheeks. She experienced a thrill of emancipation that she, as a slave, seldom dared dream of. Her horse ran true and steady under her experienced command in a tempo more natural to her than a ballroom waltz harmonized freedom in motion. Even the shrill chatter of her half-sisters and their friends did not interrupt Elia's reverie. Elia took satisfaction in knowing that she was by far the superior horsewoman of the group, a fact that she carefully masked from her siblings, especially her eldest half-sister, Deborah. It was best if a slave did not publicly outshine her betters. Ellie had learned the hard way that doing so only earned her a reputation for being uppity. Ellie opened her eyes to watch Miss Deb ride her great white horse, overweight, clumsy, and far too large for her. She rode poorly and, prone to falls, had badly injured a leg the year before. Ellie knew one reason she rode poorly was her frequent surreptitious pools on the whiskey flask hidden in her saddle. But then, Ellie thought with a smirk, most of the girls did the same. Fox-hunting expeditions, more often than not, were really excuses for the ladies to get away and drink. Ellie thought it a miracle they stayed in the saddle at all. Miss Deb was tall and the least attractive of her half-sisters, with a mannish figure and shoulder-length straight brown hair framing a long, narrow nose and horsey face. Vain, self-absorbed, intellectually lazy and careless, she was like most of the women of the planter aristocracy Ellie knew. Not that the men were different. Despite her lack of beauty, she would soon marry the most eligible bachelor in town, Colonel Thomas Collins, and become Mrs. Deborah Collins. The family fortune made early on from a freight-hauling business had bought Miss Deb her position in Georgia society. Now the Smiths were planters, the customary route to social acceptance, and the family owned over one hundred slaves, of which Ellie was one, although one she considered bitterly with a special status. Her father was also Miss Deb's father, which explained why, although the daughter of a slave, Ellie was as white as any of the ladies on the hunt. Miss Deb pulled up her horse, and the troop followed her lead. Swaying slightly in the saddle, she called, Ellie, we'll have our picnic under the shade of those trees. Pointing to a grove of nearby oaks, she added, please make the arrangements. Although treated well by slave standards, Ellie reflected that she had learned from her earliest childhood that she was a source of shame in the family, and certainly not the equal of her half-sisters. Ellie looked at Miss Deb, remembering when the inequality first hit her square in the face as a child. Deborah and a friend had held a tea party under a table in Miss Deb's bedroom. They played with a miniature china tea set, hand-painted with delicate blue flowers, a Christmas gift to Deborah from her parents. "'Take the teapot to the kitchen and ask the cook to fill it with milk,' Miss Deb said to her, and she happily complied. 
When she returned, she placed the teapot on the floor under the table to rejoin the girls. You don't do it like that, Miss Deb ordered, sounding like her mother. You have to stand up and pour us the tea. Then you take your own teacup and sit over there on the floor next to the bed. No, I don't want to, Ellie had complained. I want to sit with you and drink our tea together. This is your job, Ellie. Miss Deb said. You bring the tea to us, then you sit down in the kitchen with the slaves. We'll pretend next to the bed is the kitchen.